Psalm 81. This is a psalm that was, seems to be, have been written on the occasion for a celebration or to be sung at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the reference to the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. The Feast of Tabernacles, if you remember, the Feast of Booths was a, a fall um, week-long festival celebrating God's preservation of, Ilder, of Israel when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And, um, and so the psalm it, it takes place uh, or is written for that occasion, and it speaks to God's desire for His people. Let's give our attention to Psalm 81 as God speaks to us. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. For it is a statue for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Blessing. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do ask now that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice loud and clear, that we would be given the grace to hear and listen, to respond in faith and obedience, that our, uh, we would be built up today as your church, as we listen to you, our God, speak. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message tonight is, What God Wants From You. Uh, what does God want from you? What does God want from you? I wonder if you've ever asked yourself that question. I've heard people ask it uh, as I've counseled them. Uh, usually it's raised in a time of trial, ongoing trial, a time of pain. And people will say, I just, I just want to know what God wants from me. Being in the dark on that issue is a frustrating experience. It's a good question, what does God want from me? It's a very good question. It's, a, it's an important question for any relationship. I'm sure that if you're, uh, if you're married and you've been married for any period of time, there have been conversations where you've uh, had to sit down and, and as a husband and wife talk about what do we want and expect from one another? 
How is this going to work? What's the relationship going to be defined by? What are going to be the boundaries and the rules and the, and the values that we pursue together as a couple? And, and that we, what are the things we need from each other? As a parent, you're doing this continually with your kids, right? You're explaining them what you expect from them. Boys and girls, isn't that true? Where mom and dad say, no, we don't, we're not going to do that here. Um, we, we need to do this instead. You're, you're constantly uh, telling your children what you want from them. And every healthy relationship needs to have that understanding, and the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. At the end of the day, the, the question that really matters ultimately in our life is, what does God want from me? He made me. I exist for His glory. Well, how, how, do, you, how do I do that? What does God want from from me. And the beauty of Scripture is that God does not leave us in the dark about that. God tells us very clearly, explicitly what He wants from us. You have, for example, Micah 6, verse 8, where uh, Micah the prophet says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what the Lord desires of you, that you do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. God has not left us in the dark what he desires. And here in Psalm 81, we have another instance of God, of God being very clear, explicitly clear, about what he desires, what he wants, what he expects from his children, his people. Now, there are several unique aspects to this psalm. I'll name it just a few. That for one thing, you notice that while most psalms are prayers that rise upward, right, have mercy on me, O God, uh, this is a psalm that is primarily downward. God himself is speaking. It's, in a sense, a petition from God to Israel. And that uh, we find in Psalm 81, sort of a psalm of divine lament. Uh, we're familiar with psalms of lament, where um, the author will write a prayer in a time of pain. That's a lament. Well, this is a psalm of divine lament where, where God expresses his dismay, his holy frustration with his people. Oh, that my people would listen to me. You just need to hear the, the heart of God in that, in that sentence, in, in, in that wish, that desire. See, God is not just giving us instruction here. He's, he's, he's revealing his own heart. This, is, this sounds like a bereaved father addressing a wayward son. It's full of love and, and a deep desire to bless and do good, and yet full of sadness because of stubborn unbelief. As I said, the occasion is most likely the Feast of Tabernacles, as God called his, called his people to come and, and worship him. And, and the psalm then has two main parts. You see three, or, uh, yeah, three stanzas in your Bible. There's, there's two main parts to the psalm. Uh, the first part, one through, verses 1 through 7, deals with Israel's worship, and then the rest of the psalm, 8 through 16, deals with their obedience. And so we'll just look at it in that order. What does God want from Israel? Well, He wants robust worship and praise to be lifted up to God. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. God takes no pleasure in lethargic worship. The fervency and, and earnestness of our praise reveals the truth of your heart, whether you're talking about ice cream or about the living God. The fervency with which you speak is going to speak volumes about the character of your heart. One of God's most bitter complaints against Israel, against his people, was 
that they're, they worship with their mouths, but he says, your heart is just far from me. Your heart is far from me. Your, your worship is duty. It's not delight. It's a religious performance. Isaiah 1, you just see this. Who asked this of you? This trampling of my courts. I'm sick to death of it. It's just religious duty. It's not an instinctive response of gratitude and praise to God. They're just punching their religion card. They're not treasuring and communing with God and rejoicing in the glory and goodness of their God. It's not hard to imagine why God would be offended by that sort of perfunctory praise. Worship, you see, that is done out of duty is worship that is done for the glory of the worshiper, not the one supposedly being worshipped, right? Um, I, I think we've all been in worship before where it was just really just perfunctory. You just, you just kind of trot through the numbers and you trot through the, the different aspects of the liturgy and... Um, and then you can end of the end of it all. You can say, "Well, look what a good, dutiful Christian I am." No, uh, I don't enjoy worship. Actually, I don't really enjoy it much at all. But I, I go faithfully every Sunday, even twice. I'm a I'm a good person. I'm a good Christian. You see, worship that's done out of duty is it's it's done for the glory of the worshiper. It's not done for the glory of God. Actual real worship is when God's people delight in God. I, I, I think John Piper is right, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And that's what God uh, asks for, that we, are, that we express our deep satisfaction in God. What does God want from you in your life? God wants glad worship. God wants us to gather together and, and to come and sing together and to mean it from our heart. He, this is what He desires. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He that made us, not we ourselves, right? We're His sheep, it's the people of His pasture. So come into His presence with singing. His courts with praise. Hey, that's what God wants. He's, he's quite clear about it. He wants us to, to sing and shout aloud because we love God, because we think He is worthy of worship. That somewhere in this, in this vast universe, there needs to be voices raised to exalt God. He wants us to pray and preach and, and give our offerings uh, to, to participate in all the aspects of worship because we're convinced God is worthy of it. And we're expressing what we think of His value and His glory as we, as we worship in those ways. God wants us to delight in Him. And, and it's, not, it's not a big ask. Um, God is the most glorious being that could possibly exist. And, and, and so it, to delight in Him is, is, well, this is just what people and creatures do when they see the truth of His glory, at least when they see it in, in faith and love. The demons shudder, but, but, but um, creation rejoices and God's people should rejoice. God wants joyful worship. Well, Israel was, was struggling with that, and, and you find that throughout their history. And you find they lose their joy in worship over and over again, and then they're just going and they're, they're just punching the, relig the religion card. How does that happen? You've seen it happen in churches. 
and, and people show up. One of the things I, I, uh, I enjoy hearing is when visitors come and they say, you people act like you like to be here. That's great. The sad thing is, I'm so sorry that's not your normal experience. Um, that's how it should, that's just simply how it ought to be. That's not a credit to us. That, that's just how it ought to be. You see, Israel lost their joy because Israel forgot the glory of God. That's what happened over and over again. And which is why God in his wisdom called Israel back three times a year for these lengthy, week-long feasts and celebrations. Three times a year, he's going to pick them out of their, the drudgery of their little life somewhere in the hills uh, around, and he's going to bring them back to Jerusalem and, and back to the temple, and he's going to remind them who he is and what he's done for them so that their lives are once again oriented around the greatness and the, and the true glory of the living God. And that's what you find in verse 6, 7, where God reminds them, 5, and 6, and 7, God, that, that God went out over the land of Egypt and he relieved their shoulders from the burden and their hands were freed from the basket. In their distress they called and God delivered them and answered them in the secret place of thunder. That's what God did. And God did this not just because he's a God of mercy, because he was being nice to them. There's, there's more glory to the redemption story. Notice the psalm refers to God twice as the God of Jacob. This is the God of the covenant God of Israel. This is the God who has bound himself to Israel through covenant promise first made to Abraham and that, and that Israel's redemption out of Egypt is God carrying out his master plan of redemption itself. That they've been caught up in this great drama of God redeeming all things. Israel has been. This, this little tiny know-nothing slave nation of stiff-necked people in the bondage of Egypt. God had come and and made them a choir that they could celebrate and worship in the presence of God, in the very presence of the living God of heaven and earth, and they could celebrate the glory of God. And, and God noticed just finally that, that this worship was set as a statue and a rule. God commands this, and that statue and rule was to be communal public worship, that God was going to gather them together at the Feast of Tabernacles here. And the men of Israel for all over the nation are required to come. And you see, because their salvation is communal, their worship ought to be as well. They, they are, in a sense, lifted out of the drudgery of their little lives, and they're gathered together with the teeming throng of God's people, uh, worshiping together. David speaks of this in one of the Psalms. I remember how I used to go to the, the house of the Lord with the multitude. Can you imagine the... the, the the joy of that experience. You know, it's, it's one thing to, uh, you know, watch a, uh, a sporting event, maybe a football game on your, on your TV, and, and nowadays it's much nicer than it used to be, but there's, there's nothing like going and walking into the stadium with the thronging multitudes. So, you know, there's something, there's a different dynamic taking place, and, and God calls Israel to come and worship communally because he wants them to understand that their life isn't defined by the the, the, the minutia and the details of their little individual life, but their identity is really defined by the, the fact that they belong to the household of God. And we come to church for the same reasons. We come to church to be reminded of our identity as the people of God and to, to be reminded of the glory of God 
To be, to be reminded that our identity is, is, is found in this, that we are counted one of God's people by grace and through faith, and that our destiny is together then as, as the children in the family of God. God uh, wonderfully calls Israel to worship Him gladly. It's what He wants from them. But then in the second part, God also wants Israel to listen to Him. Verse 8, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, Oh, Israel, if you would but listen to me. Parents, have you ever said this to your children? If you would just listen to me. Well, that's God's complaint against Israel. It's all spoken in the first person, God himself addressing Israel. And God speaking with this, this loving but frustrated voice. And, and, and I know God doesn't get frustrated. He's sovereign, right? He's, he, he ordains all things, and yet... Calvin just points out in his commentary that, that God, in order to express the depth of his love and his deep concern and his grief over their sin, he speaks in ways that we can understand, language that resonates with us. It's heartfelt. It's direct. What does God want for Israel? What does he want for his people? He wants us to listen to actually listen to him, to take his word with utmost seriousness. We need to hear that. We don't live in a day, as a church uh, in America for sure, where the word is taken with utmost seriousness, where it weighs with, with wonderful weight on the people of God. We, we need to be people who take the word seriously. God is not speaking just to write a book or to hear himself speak. When he speaks in his word, it is a miracle of divine revelation. God speaking. It's life. That's what the book is. That's what God's word is. It's life. But you see, all the instruction... And uh, in the world will do us no good if we don't listen to it. If we just water off a duck's back. God calls us to, to reverence his word, to respect his word. Isaiah 66 verse 2. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's what we need to ask the spirit to do in our lives. Give us a, just a deep reverence for the word of God. You know, the, the most damning indictment a mortal could ever hear from the mouth of God would be, on the day of judgment, what God would say to you, I spoke to you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and you did not listen. I clearly instructed you, but you would not obey. I repeatedly called you and invited you, but you would not come. I reprimanded you and you would not repent. Can you imagine hearing that on the last day as you stand before God and someone has said before, the, the, worst, the worst place to go to hell is from the pews of a church where the word was opened and it was preached and you just, just didn't listen. Never made a dent. Well, that's what God is complaining against his people about. They, they, they don't listen to me. They certainly should have listened. You can find several reasons in verse 10 because of who God is. I am the Lord your God. 
him the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, your God. And because of what he's done, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I rescued you, purchased you. You are my own possession. I gave you the glory of being the only nation on the face of the earth that actually belongs to and communes with the living God. Every other nation is bowing down before stone and wood. But Israel knows the living God. And they should worship him because of the blessings he promises. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What an incredible promise. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What does Israel need to do? What do they need to do in order to receive the, the abundant showers of God's blessing? What, what's the hard thing they have to do uh, to, to, to be filled with the gifts of his goodness? Although God says, just open your mouth. Ask. Turn to me. Seek me. Listen to me. Depend upon me. And, and God says, I, I will pour the blessings of heaven upon you. I will fill your mouth. Calvin says of this, whence it follows that the reason why God's blessings drop upon us in a sparing manner is because our mouth is too narrow. Our prayers are too small. And the reason why others are empty and famished completely is because they keep their mouth completely shut. And so God's invitation goes out to Israel, but sadly, tragically, they refused. Verse 11, my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not Submit to me. It's a, it's a choice they made, a conscious decision they made. We will not listen. So what did, they do, what did they do with the prophets? They persecute the prophets. They stone the prophets. They, 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 they tell to other men, false prophets, tell us pleasing things. Speak lies. We, we would much prefer the lies. We have that spirit in our country today in great, in great volume. Just, just tell us pleasant things. And so God responds, verse 12, so I gave them over to their stubborn heart to follow their own counsels. What a, what a devastating sentence. You realize it's, it's, it's the worst thing God could do to us on this earth. There's, there's nothing worse than for God to say, okay, if you won't listen, I won't speak. I'm done. Go your own way. Follow your own wisdom. Just follow your own counsels. Go follow your lying prophets. I'm not speaking anymore. I have a, a memory, I wasn't able to find it, but I know I read a story of a Puritan pastor who preached just on that uh, concept of, of God in judgment because people won't listen to the word, God taking away his word, just taking it away. And, and this Puritan pastor is pressing upon the people what that means. What that means is there's no more instruction from God by which you can order your life, by which you can understand the reality of spiritual things and eternal things. There's no more promises that God will give to you that you can hold on to in times of trial. No more comfort to be spoken to you in your time of grief. No more reproof so that you might repent. No more gospel so that you may believe. It's all just silence. God's going to take his, his, his word away. And the, and, the, and the Puritan pastor literally took the pulpit Bible, closed it shut, and headed out the door. And the people were weeping. Don't take away the word. And so he comes back and he says, well, then will you listen to it? 
Will you listen to it? Pastors don't preach to hear themselves talk. God doesn't speak to hear himself talk. Listen to me, God says. Calvin says, nothing, therefore, is to be more dreaded than for men to be set free from, the, from divine guidance, to recklessly follow their own counsel, and to be dragged by Satan wherever he pleases. That's what happens. And it happened to Israel. They did not listen. That was the persistent pattern, and, and so God gave them over to their own stubborn heart. And yet God did not give them up altogether. And that's, again, the grace and kindness of God in Psalm 81. God is still patient and still pleading as he continues in verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. His desire is to bless. He, he delights to bless them. Uh, Calvin again says, God, like a man weeping and lamenting, cries out, Oh, the wretchedness of my people in willfully refusing to have their best interests carefully provided for. God assumes the character of a father, and after having tried every possible means to recover his children, he realizes that their condition is utterly hopeless. And so uses the language of one saddened, sighing and groaning. Not that he is subject to human passions, but because he cannot otherwise express the greatness of the love with which he bears towards us. God's desire is, is just so clearly laid out. God expressing his deepest heart's desire. I would feed you, he says, verse 16, with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. It's in, you know, it's, it's strange to even use the word, but it's very vulnerable. Where, where God speaks to a, a stubborn, resistant, unlistening people who really just don't want to hear, and God says, please listen, please listen. I would bless you. I would fill your mouth with my goodness. I would feed you with the finest of wheat. And that's where the psalm ends. Well, how does this Old Testament psalm relate to New Testament life? And the answer, of course, is the same truths apply today. God is the same yesterday, today, forever. Only now these truths are manifested through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does God want from us? Uh, do you remember uh, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4? Here's this wicked woman and um, caught up in her sin. But Jesus must go through Samaria. He's, he's there on purpose, on mission. And do you, do you remember what he said to her? He said, the Father is seeking what? Worshippers. The Father is seeking worshipers. This is, this is God's purpose in redemption. He sent Jesus Christ exactly for this reason, to, to gather worshipers. People who see the glory of God and who respond to the glory of God. That's why when you, when you get to the book of Revelation, you have these scenes of massive throngs of God's saints in heaven worshiping. That's the point. That's the goal. That is, that is God's desire. And he desires it not only that his own name be exalted, but he desires it because he knows that our deepest and best joy is found in delighting in him. And so God is, the Father is seeking worshipers, glad, joyful worship from the lips of redeemed sinners. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. 
In the New Testament, there are two times when God speaks in the Gospels, two times when the Father speaks audibly. Once was at the baptism of Jesus, and the other is at the Mount of Transfiguration. And both times, God says, the Father says almost exactly the same thing. Do you remember what he says? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Here is the word of God incarnate. Listen to him. Listen to him. Well, what does Jesus tell us to do? A variety of things, all centered on himself. I'll just give you a, a short list. Jesus tells us to believe in him. John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in me, trust in me. That's what Jesus says. Do you? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of a living God? Do you believe that Jesus came to rescue sinners from the death they deserve? Do you believe that he bore the weight of our sin on the cross to atone for sin? Do you believe that we are robed in his righteousness? Do you believe that he's coming again to make everything new? Listen to him. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. Don't just dawdle in the things of God. But, but, but be someone who, who makes it your point to, to study and to think and meditate and, and to be taught, to fill your mind with the truths of, of Christ, so that you're following him. You're actually a disciple. You're learning Jesus. That's what Jesus wants you to do. Do you do that? Or is church and Bible and prayer these sort of upper shelf religious things that you get to at, at certain times like Sunday or maybe, maybe after a meal, a short prayer, but other than that, it just kind of stays on the top shelf. Listen to me, Jesus says. Take my yoke and learn. Abide in me, Jesus says. Abide in me, John 15, and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Pursue a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. An actual relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just with the theology about Jesus, not with just with the practices of the church, but where you can say, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. I talk with Jesus. And Jesus talks with me through his word by his Holy Spirit. Abide in me, Jesus says. And he promises great things to those who do. John 15, 7, if you do abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Well, that's just Jesus reiterating what we read here in Psalm 81. Open your mouth wide. I will fill it. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given to you. That's what Jesus says. And so, brothers and sisters, from God's mouth to your ear, what does God want for you, for you, from you? Oh, he wants you to worship. He wants you to worship him with gladness, to worship him with, in earnest truth, with, with authenticity, as you confess your sin, as you give thanks, as you lift up your petitions, 
Make your supplications to worship in truth and with, with joy because God is who he is and, and has accomplished what he's accomplished in Christ. And then God wants you to listen. Oh, that my people would listen to me. This is the one in whom God delights, the one who trembles at his word, the one who, who is learning to feed on it, to drink it in, to taste the sweetness of it, to apply it. And friend, you can be absolutely sure that as, as, you, as you worship the Lord through Jesus Christ the Son, as you listen to the Son by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you are living a life that is pleasing to the Lord your God. A life that will, will end in eternal joy and glory in the presence of our Savior. And so let's, let's worship and let's listen. Let's live a life pleasing to our God. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you speak plainly and clearly and simply. Jesus, what an amazing thing that you would call us out of our idolatries, out of our ignorance and blindness and death, and you would call us to life and light, and you'd speak your truth to us, and you'd, you would tell us what we were made for, that we're made to worship the living God. That's why we exist. And that our joy will be found in, in listening to his word, feeding on his word. Our joy will be found in gathering together with his people and responding in praise and thanks and making known our petitions and learning how to follow Christ. Our, our joy will be in all those things. That, that will be life to us through Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And so, God, I pray that, that we would be, as, as a church, increasingly defined by these very things, that we would delight in the worship of our God and that we would be serious about listening to his word, that we would rejoice in his promises and, and that we would lay hold of, of his commands and, and let them be uh, the guide and rule of our life, that we, would, that we would eagerly take up your call on our life to offer ourselves, our bodies as a spiritual act of worship, so that all week long we're depending upon you, we're trusting in you, we're waiting for you, we're thanking you, we're following you. Lord Jesus, help us to be real Christians in this and, and in that to give glory to our God in whose name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and worship, singing the song, Only a Holy God.
your way, worshiping, listening to the Lord your God, go with his blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be and abide with you all till Christ come again. Amen.